to the official Ideas For Us podcast. Join us on a journey to discover solutions to Earth's most pressing environmental issues by learning from experts and professionals advancing our sustainable future. On today's episode, a conversation between Clayton Lewis Ferrara and Doug Coward, the Executive Director of SELF, Solar Energy Loan Fund. SELF is a Florida nonprofit community lending organization that is helping to rebuild and empower underserved communities, break down technological and financial barriers, and generate immediate and long-term clean energy solutions. If you have any comments, feedback, or questions, feel free to contact us at contact.ideasforus.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can support this podcast and all our environmental action projects by donating or becoming an individual or CSR member at ideasforus.org slash memberships. All right, here's Clayton Ferrara and Doug Coward. Enjoy. Welcome to another official Ideas podcast. This is Clayton Ferrara, the Executive Director of Ideas for Us. It is 2021. And uh, today we've got a wonderful discussion lined up for you. Uh, I'm joined by Doug Coward of SELF, the Solar Energy Loan Fund. So Doug, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing fabulous. Thanks for having me today, Clayton. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think that uh, now more than ever, uh, the nation is ready for discussion uh, about combating climate change, expanding renewable energy. Uh, These are things I think certainly we can all agree for the last four years haven't been taken as seriously as uh, they, they really should have and could have. So I'd love to just start off with why are these issues important to you? And then I'd love for you to jump right into telling us what self is. Sure. Well, I guess um, it's important to me for a lot of reasons. I mean, clearly, uh, from a ecological environmental standpoint, it's critical that, that we make this change. Um, but I also see it as a huge economic development opportunity, or in our case, a missed opportunity. So there, I think there's tremendous opportunity for homeowners and businesses to invest in these technologies and reap the benefits of lowering their uh, operating costs and, and increasing the equity in the in the property itself, and of course you're driving local businesses and then fostering economic development um, by actually undertaking millions of dollars of clean energy projects. And then of course there's also a social side to this because many of the types of improvements that we're talking about have direct benefit to homeowners that are affecting their health and their quality of life. Um, and their well-being. So it's it's really what I would describe as triple bottom line impacts. It's the ability to, you know, help the environment, the economy, and advance a social cause as well. That's fantastic. You know, I think more and more, especially now that you know the world has been been dealt this uh, this pandemic, right? The the nexus of health issues and the economy, health and income, uh, you know, are are really being highlighted. And, you know, 
I really feel strongly that in sustainability, there's always been such a health nexus, but it seems to be the piece that's continually forgotten. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are so many people suffering from everything from asthma to even some rare forms of cancer from uh, air pollution and different kinds of uh, pollutants in, in our atmosphere. So um, this is definitely a step in the right direction. So in figuring out your role in the green energy movement in sustainability, why did you decide to start a nonprofit organization? And, uh, you know, why, why self? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. My background's in environmental planning, and I got a wild hair and ran for political office back in 1998 and served for about 12 years. And it was during that time that I was uh, interested in trying to promote policy change, both at the state and local level, to try and you know promote sustainability and clean energy. And uh, candidly, wasn't making a lot of progress. Um, I think the culmination of uh, the issue uh, was when Florida Power and Light proposed, I think, the sixth largest coal plant in America, essentially in my backyard. And so rather than promoting solar in the Sunshine State, our largest investor-owned utility is trying to you know, bring a coal plant into St. Lucie County. And so I think that was really a turning point for me where, fortunately, we, um, we were able to deny the project. Uh, but it really led me to take a look at what could I do as a local government official to try and kickstart the clean energy economy. And I think after 10 years of banging my head on a wall up in Tallahassee trying to advocate for policy change, I realized that I could probably do a whole lot more by coming up with real world solutions that could actually help working class families and retirees benefit uh, from the clean energy economy. So it was with that mindset that we decided to create the first local government green bank in America. And that was back in 2009. And we were very fortunate to get a seed grant from the Obama-Biden administration through the Department mm -hmm. of Energy. And they were trying to kickstart the development of innovative local clean energy financing programs. So we had proposed the creation of what I would call a green CDFI or a community development financial institution. And our mindset was that financing would be the key to helping us unlock the clean energy economy, particularly in Florida, in the absence of any policy uh, changes. And so what we're really trying to do is just help homeowners gain access to low cost capital so that they can invest in these proven technologies and take advantage of you know, lowering their operating costs, building equity in their properties, making the, the homes and businesses more comfortable, more valuable. And then of course, uh, instead of sending our energy dollars out of state, which I think we're currently spending close to 60 billion a year buying carbon-based fuels from other states and countries to fuel wow. our cities and cars, we can redirect that $60 billion or at least some portion thereof back into growing Florida's economy instead of helping you know, another country or another state grow theirs. So, I mean, put the as, as important as the environmental issues are, put those aside and just look at the economics in terms of trying to promote quality economic development within the state. The price of solar has dropped like 70 to 80 percent in the last 10 years. It's now cheaper to build a rooftop solar system than it is mm -hmm. to buy carbon based fuels off the grid. So just purely from an economic standpoint, it's a wise investment. But most people don't have the upfront cash to invest in these technologies. So going back again to why we created SELF 
was to be able to help homeowners or businesses gain access to low cost capital so they could overcome that upfront hurdle and then be able to take advantage of tax credits, take advantage of the energy savings and be able to promote clean energy that's also gonna save them money and support local businesses. I mean, that's hugely exciting. I mean, the financing and the funding of a lot of these solutions is probably the number one hang up uh, for people. You know, when we uh, will hold different kinds of workshops and we'll be talking about solar and the science behind it and, and why it's important to foster renewable, renewable energy, you know, everyone in the room agrees and, and really wants to implement this technology. There are many people that even view this from a standpoint of homeland security, right? That our grid uh, is so, uh, you know, centralized right. that wouldn't a decentralized grid, uh, you know, be the best thing possible. Uh, I mean, especially yeah. for, for those of us who've been in Florida and have been through our fair share of hurricanes, right. uh, and, you know. And can I add to that really quickly, Clay, is the, the economic impact, for example, when Hurricane Katrina, you know, hit Louisiana, Mm -hmm. um, it knocked out a lot of the natural gas distribution. And so Florida, which is heavily dependent on natural gas for its power supply, saw huge spikes in the, in the rates. So it's, I totally agree with you uh, from a broader energy independence standpoint. Um, but from a consumer standpoint, it's also very risky. Um, and we're basically susceptible to those types of events happening again. I think our local utility had the utility rate go up by like 40% for a short period of time as they grappled with how are we going to you know, be able to su supply energy to the grid. Yeah. You know, and, and some of the other aspects that you touched on that, that really, uh, you know, piqued some of my interest is the fact that, you know, financial inclusion and being able to bring different ways to fund these advancements in communities and having a diversity of those ways is so important. Uh, you know, when we look at especially maybe low income communities, communities that are also struggling with a whole host of other sustainability problems, maybe they're food deserts, maybe there's a lack of public transit, uh, you know, maybe there's a really significant income inequality in, in the community. You know, one of the, one of the aspects there is how do we bring sustainability to those demographics right. and uh you know usually traditional ways of of either paying for it out of pocket or turning to a bank uh, a traditional bank right aren't within someone's means so i'd love to hear a little bit about how you all function in that particular way and and then of course what kinds of improvements can people make uh, when they're using self yeah, financial inclusion is in, is really at the heart of what SELF does as a CDFI. The National CDFI program was actually set up under the Clinton administration back in 1994. And there was really a widespread recognition that uh, banks were not providing comprehensive service and that there were a large segment of the community that were either underbanked or unbanked, meaning they didn't have the ability to tap into traditional financing. So a typical low and moderate income homeowner whose uh, house is typically older and needs more repairs. If uh, an AC breaks or a roof is leaking and it's a vital repair, um, they have very difficult time accessing traditional financing. And if they do, it's most likely a predatory lender, like uh, uh, maybe a credit card at 25% interest. So as a CDFI, we're focused on trying to help low and moderate income families gain access 
to low cost capital, but not based on a credit score. What we do that's different than traditional financing is evaluate the homeowner based on their ability to pay. And I think if I share a specific example with you, um, it'll help bring that, that story to light. We had an elderly gentleman who needed a new roof, submitted his application for a $10,000 loan, and he had a zero credit score. Now, most contractors have a financier they work with, and generally you're going to need to have like a 680, credit score to qualify. So huh. this individual could not qualify for traditional financing. Maybe they might have been able to get a predatory lender to help them at 25, 30%. Uh, but they certainly weren't going to get a competitive rate. This individual submitted the application. For those who've not worked in the financial field, they may look at that credit score and say, oh my gosh, this person's probably defaulted on every loan in their life. Well, we're kind of like an old town, small bank that gets to know our clients. Uh, we worked with this gentleman. We realized that he actually owned his home. He had no mortgage payment. He was retired and had income. He had the ability to pay. And he had not actually defaulted on a single loan in his entire life. What was happening is that he had not used traditional financing since 1994. So it was not as if he had bad credit. He had no credit. Yeah. And so we approved his loan for $10,000 with a zero credit score. That is financial inclusion. And we did so prudently. And we did so based on him showing us that he had the ability to pay. So we're looking at um, at their revenue and their expenses to determine the amount of disposable income they have. And then we build a loan around their ability to pay. And so that financial inclusion is absolutely critical for huge segments of the population who don't have 700 or better credit scores. And then the other uh, aspect is that we're getting people access to money at half or a third of market rate. So many of our homeowners are not only gaining access to money, but they're also saving 10 to 20% on their interest rates. So that's what we pride ourselves in doing. I think if you look at the success of the clean energy economy in, in America over the last 10 years, I think you'll see that we've done pretty well at helping wealthy people uh, advance solar um, and, and other technologies, but we've done really poorly when it comes to like working class families. And that's what Self is trying to do is actually bring sustainability to low and moderate income homeowners so that they can participate and benefit from the clean energy economy as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's fantastic. What so many people don't realize is that, you know, very often a, a big traditional lender is, is having to vet so many different loans that they have to have some kind of standard for for judging someone's ability and very often that's the credit score as you mentioned right. but it's right. not a personalized touch and it's not very inclusive i mean i i have many people who you know have no credit score that i know personally even myself included until very recently because we just didn't use credit cards right, right? so uh you know b because of that it's uh it's definitely an important thing to look uh, at and there's other aspects of life. I mean, uh, for example, the male in the family is more likely to get out the loans than the female. And so a lot of times if there's a divorce in the family that can shred people's credit scores. And a lot of times uh, the women are left in the lurch because they haven't been able to build their credit. Uh, prior to that, there could be a death in the family. There, there are events that happen uh, that, that cause people's credit score to go down. 
And what we're trying to do is, is look past those isolated instances and see if we're able to help people. And interestingly, we also report our loans to the credit bureau. So if someone came to us like the gentleman I mentioned who has a zero credit score, not only did he get a loan and get these improvements done to his house, but now that we're reporting that loan to the credit bureau, he's actually gonna build his credit with us as he pays off his loan. And so it's not uncommon for low and moderate income homeowners to come to us with a wish list of four or five projects that are beyond their means. We'll start out helping them with the most pressing and cost-effective solutions. And then two, three years later, they may come back and they're ready to you know, go to step two or three. And it's a point of pride for our organization to have that individual come back and their credit score has actually gone up 100 points, you know, or it's actually improved since the first time they came in. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's an extraordinary, you know, thing for someone, you know, plus the fact that they're making a major improvement, uh, you know, to their home with solar right. or, or other things. Now, I understand, you know, even with the term solar energy loan fund, you guys do a lot more than just that. So right. I'd love to hear more about, you know, many of the different projects uh, and, and also how big the average project is. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, because we started out with a DOE grant, we really had a laser focus initially on energy efficiency and solar, and we continue to do that to this day. But as we worked in underserved communities, we realized that the needs were well beyond just putting in new air conditioning and and you know and solar PV and so forth. We realized there were other fundamental home improvement projects that needed to be done. And so over our 10 year history, we've added uh, climate resilience. So now we're doing roofs, impact windows, hurricane shutters, other things that are hardening the home. And in fact, that's now one of our most popular loans is roof loans because you know, you're, you're, the life of a, of a roof is 10, you know, like 12, 15 years typically. And so a lot of these uh, appliances and, and, and features on the home uh, need repair and need to be upgraded on a continual basis. So. We added climate resilience. Um, we also realized that there are water quality problems all over the state of Florida. And so we just developed a new sewer loan uh, so that we can help low and moderate income homeowners uh, get off septic tanks, hook up to central sewer, uh, replace lateral lines, do plumbing repairs, mold remediation. Um, and then we also uh, even added new disability lending. We have, uh, including we have dozens of, of uh, past clients, including my twin sister. And if I can just share a quick story real quick, it, it dovetails with your earlier comments about the, the health benefits. My, uh, my twin sister, Dana, used self-financing to put a new high efficiency AC on her home. And after a month or two, I came back and I said, so Dana, how do we do on your energy bills? And she said, I don't even know or care. And I was kind of stunned because I was so focused on the energy side and the savings. She said, you changed my life because as um, uh, she has MS and heat makes her wither. And so for her, it was a quality of life issue. It wasn't just a, it wasn't an energy investment. It was literally a, a life changing investment in her home. And going back to what you were saying earlier about the health issues, I get a little frustrated sometimes when I'm speaking with energy professionals who are so intent on making sure that the investment pays for itself or the energy savings pays for itself over time. Now, that's certainly an important consideration, but if you invest in an air conditioning system that costs, you know, 5,000 and you save, you know, maybe, I don't know, 
$800 a year and it doesn't fully pay itself off, you still have to take into consideration the health benefits that come along with it. So I'm a little reluctant for us to, to narrow the analysis too strictly to an economic consideration because there are broader benefits that come with these improvements uh, that need to be considered and are oftentimes difficult to put a dollar figure next to. But there are clearly uh, health benefits. Um, I'm thinking of another client we helped in Tampa who was a grandmother who had a, a child in the home who had epilepsy. If the home got up over 90 degrees, the child was more likely to have seizures. So it wasn't just an AC you know, to help cut her energy costs. It literally was a fundamental health-related issue and that's not uncommon. There are so many people that have, as you were noting, asthma or they're older. They just need to be able to live comfortably. These are not luxury items. These are basic needs in a state like Florida, where we have temperatures that get up over 90 and have you know, high humidity. These are you know, really important, fundamental improvements to the home. So I, I'm, uh, we, we never really set out to, to add a disability lending component, but you know, if we're going to try and promote sustainability for all, then we certainly need to be thinking about everyone. And so it's it's actually kind of exciting to have this new uh, uh, program that we developed with the Florida Alliance for Assistive Services and Technologies, FAST, which is a statewide organization helping people with disabilities. But it helps them stay in their homes longer for elderly people. It helps create helps with mobility. So we're investing in everything from wheelchair ramps and bathroom retrofits and we, in, we integrate sustainable building practices, but we also are able to assist disabled homeowners. So it's another one of our new products that we just created. Doug, I love that story. I mean, you know, it really it really brings it home, especially how, you know, I think adaptive nonprofit organizations uh, really rise to challenges that the community needs. You know, there are many things that we set out to do uh, as ideas for us in the beginning and started to slowly move into specializing in those areas and expanding into other areas that we didn't expect to, uh, you know, you, you really see that organizations will move into these niches that their customers, right, and their donors right. and the communities they serve need. So, I mean, that's wonderful. I mean, yeah. Can I elaborate on that really quickly, Clayton? Because I used to be a, a mm -hmm. county employee and then later a county commissioner. And, you know, obviously government does a lot of great things, but there's also limits to what government can do. Sure. And so as I've worked in the nonprofit sector over the last 10 years growing self, I've really come to realize that self is what I would describe as an implementation tool for local governments. You know, they have their comp plans and these grandiose ideas to try and promote clean energy and green jobs. But how do you do it? Right. And do you want local governments to get into the banking world? And have them, you know, raise millions of dollars, take risks on loans, underwrite. That's not their specialty. And so I think there's a real opportunity for local governments to set up really unique public-private partnerships and then be able to leverage outside resources and expertise to come in and help. And if I can point to the city of St. Petersburg as one such example, they gave us, they uh, had money that came from the BP oil spill. And they wanted us to expand and create a satellite office in St. Pete, which we were happy to do, but we needed some seed funding to get us started. And I'm happy to report that after three years, we were able to leverage that $300,000 grant over a three-year timeframe 
and turn it into just shy of two and a half million dollars of clean energy retrofit projects. So we leveraged their money eight to one. We provided a return on investment back to the local government in excess, in excess of 700%. And we're now done with the grant and have grown the lending activity to the point that we can actually sustain the office in year four without any further grant assistance from the local government. So I, there's tremendous opportunities for local governments to work with nonprofits like Ideas for Us and Self and others to have us basically leverage um, their initial uh, seed grants and be able to do a whole lot more by working together. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. The, the public-private partnership is so common in the for-profit world that people forget the amazing impact that it can have in the nonprofit world uh, right. as well. You know, do you feel as though governments maybe approach you or, or look at the partnerships differently because oh, you're yeah. a nonprofit? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, and each, I was also going to, I thought you were going to go a little different direction with that, is that each local government is also quite unique. You know, we've got just like our political philosophies are quite different in the country. You know, the mentality of different local governments is quite different in the heartland as opposed to Southeast Florida. Um, but I think nonprofits can can adjust um, and basically customize partnerships and programs depending on the interests of those local governments. You know, so, for example, Martin County is one of our newer partners. And they're keenly interested in water quality improvements. And they wanted to try and develop a way to get rid of these septic tanks that are, you know, contributing to, you know, um, nitrogen and, and uh, you know, fertilizer buildup in, in sure. the waterways, right? And they didn't have a solution. They had $200,000. They were going to do, you know, a couple hundred projects and call it a day. And they sat down with us and thought, well, if we work with these guys, if we work with self, then maybe they could leverage our money and we could do a whole lot more. And so instead of doing, you know, 200 projects um, and pay the full amount, they ended up switching to like a rebate. And hmm. so a homeowner um, who wants to undertake one of these projects, it costs about $8,000. Um, the utility steps in, provides a rebate, and then we finance the remaining portion of the project and then the homeowner has some skin in the game but they can access the money and get it at a reasonable rate and as a as a part of that instead of martin county ending up doing uh two hundred thousand dollars of projects we're going to leverage that 10 to 1 and our goal is to do more than two million dollars of projects in fact we just did a soft opening in martin county and we've already done more than two hundred thousand dollars of projects in the first 45 days so it's, yeah, it's a huge opportunity. And one of the beauties of, like you were saying, the nonprofit world and, and uh, specifically our CDFI is the ability to customize. You can basically create a lending product for whatever type of initiative or program you're trying to advance, whether it's energy efficiency, renewables, water quality, whatever the issue may be. And then our biggest strength as a nonprofit lending institution is our ability to raise low cost capital from a variety of different sources. So we've already raised 25 million. And honestly, right now we're turning away millions of dollars because we can't deploy it fast enough. So we're trying to uh, bring in additional grants to expand our organizational capacity and then our ability to actually deploy millions more. 
Um, so that's one of the reasons why local governments like to work with us because we have the ability to raise millions of dollars of low cost capital from a variety of different sources. That's huge. And, you know, just thinking about how you leverage that septic tank program. I mean, that's that's a really big impact. As many of our listeners know, septic tanks are a major issue for water quality. They leak into the groundwater. They pollute rivers. In, in Martin County's case, of course, they have the Indian right. River Lagoon right there, nope. which uh, over the last three years, uh, you know, has really gone through some very difficult environmental catastrophes, largely right. due to sewage water, right, being pumped in, uh, you know, or released from the Okeechobee locks, uh, uh, stormwater that's highly polluted from agricultural runoff. Yeah, it's a combination of factors, and we need to attack it from all different angles. It's certainly not just uh, septic tanks, but septic tanks is one part of the problem. Yep, 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 absolutely. Well, that is really fascinating. Where does Self find this money to be able to give out in loans? How does that portion of this work? Well, you know, it's interesting because um, the answer to that question changes over time. When we first started out with the DOE grant, we were trying to establish, we're piloting the program and trying to establish a track record so that we could then have the ability to raise more money. Initially, it's really challenging if you don't have a track record to be able to convince investors to put up, you know, millions of dollars. And so we were very fortunate to have uh, the faith-based organizations across the country step in to help us early on. And Pope Francis had just issued an encyclical on climate change and also another one on impact investing. And so you saw a global movement by many of the Catholic organizations to take their money out of the stock market and stop promoting Shell Oil Company and you know Halliburton and, and just focus on maximizing yield and instead take their money and try and look for alternative investment strategies that would provide a return on investment, but would also advance the cause of the church or the impacts that they were seeking. So I think we have uh, about 13 different faith-based organizations from all across the United States and even one out of Canada that provides us with very low cost um, investment or loan dollars for our clients. And then um, as we became uh, more established and had a track record, we were then able to get what are called CRA loan investments from banks. And this goes back to the creation of the CDFI program back in 1994, is that the federal government basically, and I'm simplifying or maybe oversimplifying that banks either needed to provide this comprehensive banking service or they needed to make investments in CDFIs that would do the work for them. And most prefer the latter because it's such a high touch and riskier perceived risk uh, in these areas. So banks that are expanding in particular need to get CRA credits in order to continue to expand. And so we're able, we have, we have had three different banks uh, invest in us so far. Our first one was PNC Bank. Uh, the second was First Green Bank out of Orlando, uh, which has subsequently sold, I think, to uh, Seacoast Bank. Mm-hmm. And then just recently, we closed a $5 million line of credit with Bank United uh, out of their Tampa office. So banks are also uh, a big source of money. And then um, there are broad categories of what I would call impact investors. Uh, These are people that are willing to forego a little bit of yield in return for impact on their money. 
Um, and then the one that's probably the most fascinating, the one that I really didn't understand when we first started this program was worldwide crowdfunding. Um, we uh, are a field partner with an international nonprofit organization called Kiva.org. And Kiva does a form of crowdfunding called peer-to-peer -peer lending. And they have, I think, 1.2 million individual investors on this global platform. And I think they've raised over a billion dollars. Um, and they focus on trying to help the poor and people with poor credit get access to financing uh, to improve their lives. So when they opened up North America, self approached them. I think it took us about a year and a half or two to go through their due diligence and get approved. But now that we're a field partner, we're able to take clients from Orlando, uh, from Tampa, from anywhere in Florida, and post them to this international crowdfunding site and raise money uh, from individual investors. And most people are familiar with like GoFundMe sites, which is more like a grant. Like someone, I remember a, a colleague of mine was hurt and everybody went on GoFundMe, put up 25, or 25 bucks. And I think we raised maybe five or $10,000 and it was gifted to that individual. In the case of Kiva, it's a form of crowdfunding, but it's not a gift. What people are doing is called peer-to-peer -peer lending. So for example, we had a contractor out of Polk County contact us and, and said, we have a, a widower who is in desperate need of a new roof. Uh, her husband had recently passed. She had to declare bankruptcy due to medical bills and her roof is falling in and she's got a 525 credit score. Nobody would provide financing to her. Contractor called us, asked if we could possibly help. We posted her story on Kiva and we raised $10,000 in six and a half hours from 331 different people on three different continents. Wow. And then pooled that money from around the globe, brought it back into Florida, specifically into Polk County, and gave Verda an unsecured personal loan at 5% interest with somebody with a 525 credit score. That's about probably wow. a quarter of market rate. And I remember, I remember her daughter calling me before we closed the loan. And she said, are you trying to scam my mother? <laughs> no, ma'am, we are not. We're a 501c3. We're certified by U.S. Treasury. We've been doing this for 10 years. And this is what we do. We, we, we you know, specialize in tapping into socially responsible investors from all over the world so that we can do these kinds of projects. So That's Kiva huge. is probably one of the most innovative. We've raised about $800,000 so far. Wow. So Kiva and that program is specifically geared towards helping female heads of household and sure. veterans. And, and it offers our lowest interest rates to the clients with the lowest credit score. So we're actually flipping that traditional model on its ear Instead of charging uh, people with poor credit the highest interest, we actually provide our lowest interest rates to people with the poorest credit. Wow, that's and amazing. They, and they, don't, they don't just get access to the money. They're also going to rebuild their credit with us over time so that next time they've got more options uh, and, and better interest rates in the future. Well, it sounds like this is a, you know, what we like to call the, uh, you know, the virtuous cycle here, where it really is just people helping people and uh, making these, you know, localized advancements towards sustainability. 
right? right? People often think that the the solution for sustainability will will be top down, right? And we're waiting on leaders or elected officials yeah. or people to create laws and legislation. But often it really is. Well, it's frankly, it's both, right? It, it's a combination yeah, of that, but also yeah. bottom bottom up, right? And, yeah, and totally community great. by community. Unfortunately, I think most have focused on the top down. And I have always advocated for what you just said is that we need to have a comprehensive solution that has both. So yes, we do need to make policy changes. We need to do that at the national and, and state level, but we also need to have more organic bottom-up solutions uh, such as self. So that comprehensively, we're truly tackling this, prob this problem and also providing benefit to all. And, and that's what we're all about. Um, the other thing is I, I've worked in the environmental field for more than three decades, and I am not interested in focusing my time on, on you know, policy change, although those are important. I want real world solutions, and I want them to happen yesterday. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. I think for a lot of us, especially when it comes to climate and renewable related things, uh, you know, two decades ago would be nice if we could go back and, and put some of the programs in place yeah. uh, now. And especially with yours, I mean, this sounds like a real gift to the community as well, especially for contractors and people with businesses that can respond right. to this sudden influx of financing, uh, you know, in small communities. Uh, so maybe you can speak a little bit about that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a big deal, especially now that we're in, you know, heading towards post-COVID, right? And this economic uh, comeback that we're all hoping right. for. No, it's a really important point, Clayton, because obviously we directly benefit homeowners, you know, who use the, you know, money to make these improvements. But someone's got to do that work, and so we don't want to miss out on the economic benefits that we're creating as well. We have over 500 contractors in our network. And what they generally tell us is that they're losing between 20 and 40% of all of their business because homeowners cannot qualify for traditional financing. So we're able to basically open up new markets for them to expand their business. Instead of having to walk away from those projects, they can now send them to us to try and fill the void. Now we can't we can't finance all of them. There are going to be some folks that just don't have the ability to, to proceed, but in many cases um, we can. And so we oftentimes supplement their traditional financing so that they're providing more options to homeowners and they're thereby able to qualify more people to do the work. The second benefit is that we don't actually charge our contractors any fees. Normally a contractor is going to have to pay what I would broadly describe as a dealer fee. So I was talking with a solar company out of Orlando and they had a $20,000 solar project, but their traditional financier requires a 20% dealer fee. That means they have to stroke a $4,000 check to somebody in New York just to get access to the money. And now they add that $4,000 onto the price tag. And now the homeowners having to pay $24,000 for a PV system instead of 20. So not only do we help them capture more markets, but we're also making them more competitive. And then that competitive price also gets passed on to our homeowners. So Florida has the lowest PV prices in the nation at about 270 a watt. And our, our um, uh, clients have been averaging around 225 to 230 a watt. So we're actually helping them, uh, the homeowner get access to really competitive pricing 
Um, and I'm proud to say that our number one contractor, it's a small mom and pop air conditioning company out of Fort Pierce that's been working with us for 10 years. Um, they just surpassed $1.2 million of projects that we've financed. That's a lot of air conditioning systems. And so we helped them you know, through the last recession, and then we helped them grow their business and sustain it. So we pride ourselves at working closely with contractors, and we envision this as a win-win for all. The homeowner uh, gets quality work, quality company, quality pricing. They benefit. The contractor gets to expand their business um, and do more projects, uh, so they benefit. And then we're ultimately trying to grow our nonprofit to reach an economies of scale where we're able to actually sustain ourselves, uh, which we're well on that path right now. So we're really trying to roll out, you know, a win-win-win situation for all. I mean, you know, 80% of businesses in the United States are um, small businesses, right? Under 300 employees. It is a serious blow to the community when one of these businesses go under. And and with what we're facing from COVID, you know, there's been really just an unprecedented impact that has happened uh, to people. So this is great to know that, you know, this availability of funding uh, can can keep companies going and help them to rebound. Um, right. And if I can add that, I think one of the other aspects of COVID is uh, further tightening of the credit markets. So the issues that we talked about for, you know, regarding financial inclusion um, are actually exacerbated by COVID and, and now are worse than they've ever been. Um, and then, of course, what's quite interesting about COVID is that while energy use overall has gone down dramatically, you know, with the stay-at-home orders and people, you know, spending less time in their cars and and, and, and offices, um, the residential energy use has actually gone up because obviously people are spending more time in their homes. So we have also seen a dramatic increase in demand during COVID. In fact, we beat our 10-year lending records nine months in a row in 2020. And we're having, you know, and we've got, I think, about $2 million of projects in our pipeline right now. So we're struggling to keep up with demand because people are spending more time in their homes. I think they're seeing their home in a different way. They're not only using more energy, but it's like their castle. They want to invest in that property. It's the most important thing, uh, particularly for LMI homeowners. It's the biggest asset in the family. So it's critically important, you know, that the improvements are made. Uh, lowering operating costs, improving comfort, livability. Uh, so we're seeing, you know, just the demand for home improvement projects and related financing uh, are really just skyrocketing right now. And I don't anticipate that demand diminishing anytime soon. Absolutely. Well, for all of the people who are listening right now and are very interested in taking advantage of what self can do, what should they do? How do they get in contact with you? And how do they see if uh, all the wonderful things you're offering are right for them? Yeah, I, I think the best place to start would probably be our website, which is solarenergyloanfund.org. There's a tremendous amount of information on there about the different types of lending products that we have, the different types of home improvement uh, uh, projects that we finance. Um, we have three or four regional offices. So people in Tampa, St. Pete may want to get in contact with our, our team on that side. We just opened up a new office in Orlando. Uh, so we've got uh, those numbers are listed. 
Um, if people are not savvy with uh, with computers, they can call our headquarters, which is area code 772-468-1818. Um, and we also uh, would just point out that we're not just trying to uh, help homeowners. We're also interested in recruiting more contractors. So if there are contractors out there that are general contractors or AC or solar or window guys, um, we do not charge any money. We do pre-vet, you know, all of our, our contractors to make sure they have proper license and insurance. Uh, but we would welcome additional contractors coming on board uh, to take advantage of our financing as well. Wow. Well, Doug, thank you so much. You know, I'd love to just leave leave off with you uh, sharing with us anything else that you'd like to. I'd especially like to know what are some things that you're you're looking forward to in the future uh, as 2021 goes on that you think is going to be, uh, you know, a game changer to the great work you're already doing. Wow, that's that's a lot. Um, well, we are, uh, we're, as I said, we just opened up Orlando in the last six months in partnership with the city of Orlando, Orange County, and a small grant from the Energy Foundation. So uh, we're keenly focused right now on opening up Central Florida. I think we've already done almost 500000 in lending in the first six months. So we're very interested in, in growing uh, the Central Florida office and activity. Um, we are just starting to expand into Miami. Um, and we've also been courted pretty aggressively by the city of Atlanta, which we're looking at potentially expanding into this calendar year. Um, I think the message I would have for people is that this really isn't as complicated as it may seem. Um, it's fairly easy to qualify for um, small microloans to begin the process. There are plenty of uh, you know, quality contractors that are out there. Uh, that can assist. And the technologies that we're talking about have already been properly vetted, tested, and they're proven. We know that you're going to get a sound return on investment. So I would encourage your listening audience to take the first step. Stop thinking about climate change as some issue that needs to be solved uh, just through the Paris Climate Accord or just through the federal government. And think about things that you can do as an individual to actually promote sustainability um, and, and cut your carbon footprint. And I would leave you with one, my favorite client, who is now, I think, on her fourth loan. It's a retired teacher. She started out with uh, energy conservation and efficiency, and she was able to cut her energy use by about 40%. And then she put a solar PV system on her roof to go net zero. So now she has eliminated her energy bill. And she was so intrigued by the benefits that she went out and bought an electric vehicle, which she now plugs into her house. And she now no longer has an energy bill or a gas bill. And wow. all of those savings are simply redirected back into her own investments, making, you know, helping her pay off her house and her car. And it's that transformational uh, lifestyle. Uh, we can do this. And it's not as complicated as you might think. And self is just one of many tools that are out there to help you. And in addition to financing, we are more than happy to provide energy expertise and project management to help people, you know, go through this process and green up their homes. Wow. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, it just goes to show how, you know, when someone finds some more opportunities to be more sustainable, they can really run with it and look at that transformation of that person that you just, uh, you know, described. So, 
Doug, thank you. I mean, this has been really illuminating. I'm so excited that you've come to Central Florida, to Orlando. You know, I'm also just super thrilled about all of the work that you've been doing in Martin County. You know, I grew up there in that community and know that, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of great things that can be done in the sustainability world there. So thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on and sharing all this great information about self. And uh, we just look forward to, to continuing to work with you and hearing about the great things you're doing. Well, great, Clayton. It's an honor to be here. And I also just put a, a shameless plug in for ideas for us. You guys have been doing some amazing groundwork, groundbreaking work. Um, and it's a real honor for me to, to finally get a chance to meet you. And of course, I've been working with Chris Castro for many years, but just wanted to compliment you on the amazing work that your organization is doing as well. Thank you. You know, and and this is what it's all about. Nonprofits, uh, you know, that uh, that do diverse things coming together and working together to, to advance local sustainability. So yep. and that puzzle. I, yeah. And I'll just close with uh, I tell my staff, I say we're changing the world one home and one family at a time. Uh, we got a lot to do, but uh, we've already helped about sixteen hundred families finance about 17 million. Wow. And we're ready to do the next twenty five million. Um, so again, thanks for having me. And, uh, if anyone wants to give us a call, we'd be glad to try and help them, you know, start this process. Awesome, Doug. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. This brings us to the close of another official ideas podcast, this time with Doug Coward of self. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the official Ideas for Us podcast. You can learn more about our environmental action projects by visiting ideasforus.org and stay in the loop by subscribing to our monthly newsletter. If you like what you heard today, you can support this podcast and all our other projects by donating or becoming a member at ideasforus.org memberships. This episode has been made possible by all you wonderful members. Together, we're advancing environmental action worldwide. Please share this podcast with all your friends and loved ones and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed it. In the meantime, you can stay tuned to hear what amazing guests we'll be featuring in future episodes. And we'll see you next time on the official Ideas for Us podcast. Mm-hmm.